thought, oh my God, help, I'm gonna die, came out of my heart, all of a sudden this force field of peace started descending upon me. And it was literally pushing down all my fear and I started feeling this incredible calm. And then I heard a clear inner voice and I'd never heard inner voices before this. And it was a masculine inner voice and it spoke and I heard, be still and know that I am God. I am with you now and always. Hello and welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you are in the world right now. I'm so excited about our guest today, Dr. Yvonne Kaysen. She has had five near-death experiences or NDEs. Dr. Kaysen is a world-renowned pioneer in the field of spiritually transformative experiences. She's the author of several books and her latest is Soul Lessons from the Light, How Spiritually Transformative Experiences Changed My Life. This is her story and this is her passion. Dr. Kaysen, I'm so excited to have you back on Passion Harvest. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again, Louisa. It's a joy to be here. Oh, it's it's absolutely my pleasure. Let's get started. You've had five near-death experiences. Wow. Um, I'm going to pass it over to you, wherever you'd like to take it from. <laughs> Thank you, Louisa. Well, I'm really delighted to be here because um, of the release of my new book that I want to make sure I tell everybody about, Soul Lessons from the Light that just came out in December of 2022. And that is my personal spiritual awakening journey where I'm sharing my five near-death experiences and other powerful spiritually transformative experiences that impacted my life. My first one, my first near-death experience, I now realize happened when I was five years old. And it was the summer before kindergarten. And I was traveling with my parents in Switzerland, where my mother is from. And we were at a train station waiting for the train. And I remember uh, as a curious little five-year-old, um, this was new for me. We don't travel by train often in Canada. And so looking around the train station and I saw a station hand jump off the platform onto the tracks and then climb up on the next platform. And I remember thinking, oh, that looks like fun. And I immediately jumped, started jumping off the platform onto the railway tracks, planning to climb up the platform on the other side. And all of a sudden, it was like time stood still. It was as if my life was a movie and someone had pressed the pause button. And it's like, <clears throat> there I was frozen with my body at a 45 degree angle. And then all of a sudden, my point of perception rose up. And I was above where my body was, looking down at the sea, maybe 20 feet or 25 feet. And I remember when I was above, my point of perception was above my body. I could see what I had not been able to see when I was jumping down on the tracks, but looking down uh, along the tracks, entering the station, a train was rapidly entering the station and I was about to be hit by a rapidly oncoming train. 
And I remember that while I was in this out of what I now know was out of body, I didn't know back then, when I was in this out of body state space watching this, I remember clearly having the thought, oh, I'm about to be hit by a train. And interesting, there was no fear with it, no panic. That There was this calm with it too, just like a fact, oh, I'm about to be hit by a train. And then all of a sudden it was boof, like someone released the pause button and my movie of my life started going forward again. And some gentleman had reached out from the platform and had pulled my little body back onto the platform so that I was not hit by the train and whoop, the train, you know, the wind of the train whooshing in front of me blew against my face. And then I was back in my body. Now, of course, my parents scolded me terribly. <laughs> And, and I was afraid to talk to anybody about this. So I never spoke to anybody about what I experienced. But interestingly, looking back now, I now realize I started having out of what I now know are out of body experiences after that experience, which I now know, having been an NDE researcher for 40 years, that that's a common after effect. But I just didn't realize it as a child. But I would have dreams or uh, experiences that, that I was uh, out of my body and how I understood it as a five-year-old, you know, before kindergarten <laughs> was that I could fly. That's how I understood it, that I could fly. And I remember when I started kindergarten, I, you know, made some new friends and I very proudly said to one of my new friends, I can fly, you know. <laughs> And I remember this friend laughed at me and said, there's no way you could fly. And I said, sure, I can fly because I have such a clear memory of what I now know were out of body experiences. But, you know, as a child, there's like no clear boundary between what's on this dimension and what's in the out of body dimension. And so I said, I'll show you. So I climbed up on the little, there was like a little fence in front of our house. I climbed up on the fence. I spread out my arms like wings and I jumped off planning to fly down the street as I had done in my out of body experiences many times to, to show this friend that I could fly. And I remember, of course, I fell to the ground and I, my little friend laughed and walked away. And I still remember to this day, my reaction. It was like, I was confused. I, I didn't get it. Like, why do I have such clear memory of flying, but now I can't show my friend? Um, so anyway, I now realize, of course, I couldn't fly with my physical body. These were out-of-body experiences I was having because I had had my first childhood near-death experience. I now see that um, I had another near-death experience when I was 11 years old. I had just turned 11. Puberty was still a long way. So again, I was still a kid. Um, my family was involved in a really major car accident. Several family members were severely injured. And I was severely injured. I suffered a head injury in this car accident. And I ended up being in a coma for three days. My, my parents were able to recount to me afterwards all of the details. I don't have memory. Once the accident happened, I lost worldly memory until I woke up three days later. But <laughs> I have other memories during that three-day period. And again, I never realized it was a near-death experience because as a kid, I thought 
that's what happens with everybody's in a coma for three days, right? So initially, my first memory after uh, I, I had the head injury in the accident is at the accident scene. And I remember um, my point of perception was floating above the accident scene. And I was looking down and I was I was hovering above the scene and I was hovering above my father. And my father had been really seriously injured and he had a huge laceration on his face and blood was dripping down. He'd broken a number of bones. And and I remember hearing, watching from above, that my father was calling out, my daughter, my daughter. And he was calling out for me because he confirmed with me later that, you know, even though he was so seriously injured, he looked around and he saw that they'd not found me. I'd been thrown into the back. It was a station wagon, the back luggage compartment. And my tiny body was not visible under the suitcases there. The tar car had spun and rolled over down a ditch. And so he kept calling my daughter, my daughter. And, and finally, somebody did go look through the luggage compartment. They did find my body and pull me out and put me on the pavement there close to my dad. And um, then the next memory that I have, my father confirmed this is exactly what happened, what I observed from above. And then the next thing I remember, it's like my memory jumped in time somehow while I was unconscious, but I have a very, very clear memory now in the emergency department of the hospital when the ambulance had brought us to the emergency. And I remember I'm, I'm like, uh, it's as if the ceiling of the emergency room had gone transparent. And I was like 20 feet above my body that was laying on one of these little examining, my little body was laying on a big examining table. And there were two men sort of huddled over my body that I assumed were doctors um, trying to resuscitate me or treat my injuries. And I remember looking down, I, I could see this big round metallic disc shaped lamp uh, and over where the doctors were, over where my body was. And, you know, as a child, I had no idea that that is what operating room <laughs> lamps looked like or, or emergency room lamps. But I, that's what I was seeing. But I was looking from a top-down perspective. I was seeing the top part with the little arm that goes up and the, and, and, uh, the light shining down. And interestingly, because, you know, I am a, a medical doctor by profession, when I went into medical school many, many years later, and into, you know, surgeries and emergency departments discovered, oh, yes, that's exactly what emergency room lamps are like, except I had been seeing it from a top down perspective. <laughs> so I, again, my third, it's my memories jump again during that time of unconscious. My my third very, very clear memory that's still clear to this day is the moment that I woke up uh, in my body and I found myself lying in a, in a children's ward in a bed with the railings pulled up. And um, uh, anyway, I go into much more details in the book, so I'll just leave it at that. But the interesting thing about that experience, which again, I never realized it was a near-death experience. It was just what happened to me when I was a kid. And um, But we, uh, after that experience, for about a year, I was able to see ghosts, which now we know, yeah, that's a common after effect from near-death experiences, me developing mediumship abilities. But as a kid, how I understood it, I thought my house was haunted. 
And I told my parents I was seeing ghosts and I refused to sleep in my bedroom. I was supposed to be in the bedroom alone. And I insisted that my parents move my bed into the bedroom with my younger brother and sister so that I would not be alone at night when I was seeing these wispy wraith-like figures uh, around me in the room. So as I look back now, I realize, wow, I started having near-death experiences and their after effects even as a child. So I think this um, definitely had some sort of impact on me growing up. I'm, I'm, I'm just reflecting now from many years later, because I had, when I went into medical school, um, I had in my last year of medical school, when I was 23, I took um, a meditation course and, and I wasn't taking this to try and have a transcendental experience. I took it because it was being advertised to help people study for their exams and you'd be more calm and more focused and you'd do better on your exams. And of course, in medical school, we had tons of exams and for graduating, we had really big exams. So I took this course to try and improve my exam performance and I started meditating every day. I found I loved meditation. To me, it felt like a duck being reintroduced to water. I, I now think it's because of past lives. But back then, it was just, it felt natural. It felt easy. It was a fit for me. So I started meditating every day. And uh, probably an hour in the morning, hour in the evening. And it did help my marks with my exams. But much to my surprise, after about three months of meditating regularly, I had this incredible experience in my meditation with, that I now know was a kundalini awakening, although it took me years to put a name to the experience. So what I actually experienced while I was meditating was I felt, I, I think it started with a loud noise, like a loud inner sort of roaring noise, like almost the roar of a waterfalls or the rushing of wind. And then I felt this really strong energy move up my body and up my spine at the same time as I heard that roaring sound. And then all of a sudden my consciousness, well, actually it was gradually rose up and expanded. And it, it seemed like I expanded to fill a large space. This was a bit different from a, um, the out-of-body experiences I'd had before, and now I can label them, <laughs> um, because I it, there was this expansion, this sense that I've expanded to fill this vast space. And at the same time that I was expanded, I felt this incredible love, this really beautiful love. And being, you know, young and new to meditation, what I thought was that I'd finally gotten my meditation technique right. <laughs> and this was like the it experience that all of the more experienced meditators were having every time they meditated. And I remember clearly thinking, boy, no wonder people like to meditate. This is so awesome. As I just basked in this expansion and this bliss, which lasted, you know, maybe an hour or so until my meditation finished. And then when my meditation finished, I sort of contracted back to my normal consciousness. And 
um, I was disappointed afterwards when I, I wasn't able to replicate this. And I remember I, I, you know, with my tail between my legs, sheepishly went up to one of the meditation leaders a few weeks later and said, I must be doing something wrong with my technique. Can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? Because I'm, I'm not having that experience every time I meditate. And so when I told them the story, <laughs> I remember their jaw sort of dropped. They went, what? <laughs> that happened to you and you know I shyly said well yes <laughs> but I'm not able to do it again <laughs> and it was only then that I realized that all the other meditators were not having this every time that they meditated that this was something a little bit unusual and I asked them well, well what is it I mean it was really wonderful what it, what is it I now know it was a Kundalini awakening with a mystical experience and um, my first mystical experience this lifetime. And, but they didn't have a clue. They said, well, sounds like a Kundalini awakening, but it couldn't possibly be because you're far too young. I was 23 at the time and you haven't been meditating long enough. And you can only have a Kundalini awakening if you're meditating with a guru that's God enlightened that transmits it to you. Or you have to have been in the Himalayas for 40 years or something like that. And I now know that all of those things are not correct. But but that was what I was told, that it was not a, near, uh, um, a Kundalini awakening. So. I didn't know. I was busy in medical school. I just sort of filed it in the back of my mind. But, um, you know, unusual things started happening to me after the Kundalini awakening. I became aware I was getting recurrent sensations of energy running up my spine. I would have recurrent chakra sensations. I was finding myself becoming uh, sensitive to other people's energies. Um, but, you know, I just didn't focus on that because I was still trying to focus on my medical school final exams. Well, the good Lord uh, didn't want me to ignore what was happening to me. So I was given yet an even more powerful experience three years later when I was finishing my residency and I was a young doctor already uh, in 1979. So I was 26 at that time. I was in uh, assigned to a medevac, a medical evacuation by airplane uh, with a critically ill woman in northern uh, Ontario, Canada. And uh, that medevac plane crashed. I have all the details in my book. I'm just going to give the highlights today so we can get through uh, my five near-death experiences, at least the highlights. Um, that uh, And in the course of the crash, I almost drowned because we crashed into a semi-frozen lake. And I almost froze to death because it was the middle of the winter in a blizzard. I was soaking wet by the time I made it to shore. Uh, my body temperature dropped. I was hypothermic and near drowning when I was resuscitated. So anyway, in the course of this plane crash, I had what I now know was a near-death experience. And what happened is that it actually started while the plane was going down, like actually before the plane crashed, which I find is really fascinating and also to me exudes the love the higher power has for us to be present for us in these times of crisis. 
So the plane, um, it was a twin propeller plane. First, because of the storm, they say the, 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 the engines malfunctioned because of ice forming on something. So anyway, first one engine failed, then the other engine failed. So we're crashing down to the ground. We're tumbling down to the ground. Pilots trying to steer the free falling plane. And my immediate first reaction, I think, is similar to what anyone's first reaction would be was like intense panic. It's like, oh my God. And the thought just came out of my 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 heart. Oh my God, I'm gonna die. Uh and and it seems that that thought that came out of my heart was close enough to a prayer because that's actually when my near-death experience started. So after that thought, oh my God, help, I'm gonna die, came out of my heart, all of a sudden this force field of peace started descending upon me and it was literally pushing down all my fear and I started feeling this incredible calm and then I heard a clear inner voice and I'd never heard inner voices before this and it was a masculine inner voice and it spoke and I heard be still and know that I am God I am with you now and always. And with those words, this mystical peace came over me and I was totally unafraid and we hadn't crashed yet. And I was able to turn and I was able to comfort the patient and, you know, talk with the other two. Anyway, the pilot very heroically managed to guide the, the he put up the wheels and he tried to do a, a belly landing on the surface of a semi-frozen lake. And actually, we would have been okay if the ice was thick enough. But as soon as the plane came to a stop, the, the, the ice broke, the plane very rapidly nosedived and sank into very deep water. And so we all had to get out of the plane. The nurse, the pilot, and I managed to get out, but we were not able to pull the patient out. Unfortunately, she went down with the plane and passed over. And then we were a long distance from the closest shore with open water, with a strong current separating where we were from the shore. And, uh, you know, this is a blizzard. The water was choppy from the wind. And the voice in my head repeated, swim to shore. Anyway, I'm going to cut the story a bit just to to because of time. But uh, I did eventually it took three times the voice saying swim to shore till I finally listened to it. Hopefully if ever God forbid something of this happened in future, I'll listen the first time next time. That's one thing I've learned over the years to listen to that inner voice. But anyway, I started swimming to shore and that is what saved my life. I went, it was a very long and a very difficult swim. I went under several times and then struggled with all my might to get my mouth above water to get some air again. And somewhere in the course of swimming to shore is when my near-death experience deepened. And all of a sudden, again, I heard that whooshing, roaring noise, similar to my kundalini awakening. And I felt my consciousness lift up again, again, similar to my kundalini awakening. But I found myself, 20 or 25, maybe 30 feet above my body. But it was more complicated than just an out-of-body experience because actually my consciousness 
time. And I compare it sort of like to a split screen TV with a big image and a little image that most of my consciousness, the big image was out of my body up above now. But there was a tiny bit of my consciousness, like the little image that was still in my body, very, very desperately trying to swim to shore because I had not made it to shore yet. Anyway, the bulk of my consciousness, the large image, then rose higher. And I rose into this realm or space or state, it's hard to know what words to put on it, that was filled with this incredible, powerful, unconditional love and beautiful, glistening white light. And now we've heard many stories of people who've had your death experiences, but at that point in my life, I had not. And um, this was all new material for me. So I found myself in this light-filled realm. And, but the most most powerful aspect of where I found myself in, was the love. I mean, the light was beautiful, but the most powerful aspect was the love. I felt such complete, intense, perfect, unconditional love. It, it was it was being home. This is where I fit. This is where I belong. This is where I was totally loved. And for an instant, I saw a face of light, and then it sort of shaded, it faded into the sort of soft cloud-like white periphery. Don't know who that face of light was for sure. Uh, and as I remained or basked or or just reveled in joy in this realm of light, I knew things and and. I didn't know them because someone was explaining to me. It was just somehow like my soul suddenly knew things. And I knew that the love that I was feeling, the love that I was experiencing was the love of the higher power that underlies the universe. What I had been raised to call God and others may use other names, the forest, Brahma, Allah, doesn't matter. I had been raised to call this force God. And what I was experiencing God to be was not anything at all like what I had been taught God was supposedly like. It's completely different. It was not an old man with a long white beard sitting on a throne judging me if I'd been good or bad, which is sort of what I'd been taught. What I was actually experiencing was that the higher power is this vast, infinite, like a force field, intelligent force field of unconditional love that interpenetrates all of creation, past, present, and future. And I also knew while I was in this realm of light that what I think of as me would live on whether my body below managed to survive this particular drama it was going through or not. And so I really... Uh, it didn't matter to me whether my body below <laughs> survived or not. I sort of watched very detachedly, like when you watch a TV show you're not interested in, but you just want to see how did they end the plot? How did they make it end? That was sort of what I was doing. Well, okay, let's see what happens down there. Because I was, I was home. I was where I belonged. I was in the love. But uh, as it turned out, uh, it seems the good Lord wanted me to have these experiences because there was more work for me to do in my body afterwards. <laughs> so I did manage to make it to shore through a whole bunch of really heroic coincidences that I'm just not going to take the time to explain right now. But divinely orchestrated coincidences led to 
our message being heard that we crashed in a helicopter being nearby that could rescue us. And they managed to find us and they took us by helicopter to the closest hospital. I watched from above as they uh, wheeled stretchers out of the hospital onto the air, uh, the, the driveway where the helicopter had landed. They put me on the stretcher, brought me in the hospital. And then I was hypothermic, meaning my body was freezing to death. I was near drowning. I had water in my lungs and they resuscitated me. I was floating above my body watching this. They resuscitated me, revived me by reheating my body. And what they did is they took me down to the physiotherapy department to the hot whirlpool baths. And then they put my body in the hot water of the hot whirlpool baths. And it's there that I felt my consciousness re-enter my body. And what that felt like was, whoosh, like it was like how they depict a genie being sucked into a bottle. It was, I'd been in this big expansive space up above and then suddenly, abruptly, I was sucked in, it seemed to the top of my head, to the small confines of my physical body. And then I knew I was back, that uh, I was meant to live. Now, I now know that was a near-death experience. But after this happened to me, I didn't even have words. I didn't have vocabulary. I didn't even know what to say to call what had happened to me. I mean, it impacted me tremendously. I mean, I completely lost my fear of death. I became absolutely convinced that there is a loving higher power that loves all of us, regardless of what our faith tradition is or no faith tradition. We're all loved. <laughs> you know, we're all part of this big spiritual family. I became much more tolerant, open, understanding, and loving of the world's great faiths, because I sort of perceive them as, you know, everyone's trying to climb the same mountain, they're coming from a different angle, so they have a different perspective. But once you get to the top, ah, it's the same higher power for all of us. But as I talked to my medical colleagues, my medical doctor colleagues afterwards, you know, and, and told them a bit about what I experienced, I asked them, has anyone ever heard of anything like this? Like, this, remember, this is back in the 70s. Does anyone, does anyone even have a word for something like this? And I, my doctor colleagues, you know, they all listened to me. They knew I was a very um, respectable and responsible a physician. Um, so everyone came up with a, a theory that I had hallucinated due to some medical issue you know, that I had hallucinated because of a low blood sugar, or I had hallucinated the whole thing because of an electrolyte imbalance. And that just absolutely did not resonate with me. I mean, I had seen patients with low blood sugars, and they were not reporting these sorts of experiences to me. And it was so profoundly growth promoting and spiritually deepening. It, 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 it was much more than an electrolyte imbalance. So I, I had to search a long time to find words. The, the first word I found that even somewhat fit was uh, a friend of mine, uh, a colleague, a medical doctor who was a very devout Christian. When he heard my story, he said, you know, Yvonne, I think you've had a mystical experience. And it was like, ding, <laughs> the bell rang. Yep. That one fits. So for almost 10 years, I actually called my experience, the mystical experience that happened in the plane crash. And I also went to 
speak to someone who considered themselves a near-death experience researcher shortly after this, just to see if maybe it might be a near-death experience. And so I remember this person said to me, well, did you see a tunnel with a white light at the end of it? And I went, no. <laughs> and then he said, and were you fully clinically dead before you were resuscitated? And I said, well, no, to the best of, I think I was just unconscious at my worst. And then he said, it is not a near death experience. It's something else. So, you know, for many years, I thought, okay, so it's not a near death experience. But this is what prompted me to start researching as a medical doctor, the whole spectrum of spiritually transformative experiences. So I started researching mystical experiences. I started researching near-death experiences. I started researching out-of-body experiences. <laughs> I started researching kundalini awakening. After my uh, plane crash near-death experience, I had a very dramatic um, psychic awakening afterwards too, which I described in my book, which was I was going to visit a friend. And um, after work one day, I was stopped at a stoplight because uh, it had turned red and all of a sudden I got this clear visual image of my friend's brain covered in pus and to me as a medical doctor it was somehow really clear this symbolized meningitis and somehow I knew it was my friend that I was going to visit and so when I arrived at her home you know I was a little sheepish about mentioning it but I had this strange vision when I was driving here but as it turned out, she was feeling unwell, severe headache. And sure enough, later on that day, when she went to the emergency department, she was diagnosed with meningitis and fortunately um, uh, was treated and recovered fully. But that was my first of many psychic experiences that I started having. Clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient, la later past life recall. So I sort of look back and I, I, I see this and I think that I believe that there is a, a, a divine plan that is unfolding and it is good. And that if we listen, that we will be given hints and inner guidance in terms of what our particular little role is in the divine plan. And uh, it I look back now and I think that spirit gave me all of these experiences as a young medical doctor and even before I became a medical doctor, because in the divine plan, ultimately, that was what my specialty was to be. And I ended up becoming indeed the first Canadian medical doctor to specialize in researching and counseling people who've had all types of spiritually transformative experiences. I mean, that's in fact a term that I coined as an umbrella phrase. And spiritually transformative experiences, of course, include the near-death experience, but they also include other experiences like kundalini awakening and mystical experiences and psychic awakenings of all types and out-of-body experiences and, and after-death communications and uh, end-of-life experiences. There's a whole inspired creativity. It's a big, big, big umbrella, trans-dimensional experiences. That's all part of spiritually transformative experiences. I had another near-death experience in, in 1995, which to me, it was sort of like each near-death experience was um, taking me to a level deeper of understanding. Like many people have said to me, why do you think you have five near-death experiences? Are you accident prone? I said, no, no, no. I don't think it has anything to do with being accident prone. What I actually think is that... Um, 
it was twofold why I've had five near-death experiences. One is, I think my consciousness is open or susceptible to spiritual experiences of all types based on my past lives. And I've seen that in, I'm going to tell you soon about my 2003 near-death experience. And in that near-death experiences, I did see my past lives. I remembered them all. And I saw that, oh, (laughs) I've had near-death experiences in past lives too. (laughs) I've had Kundalini awakening in past lives too. I've had mystical experiences in past lives too. So from a soul perspective, my soul came in um, already open to these types of experiences because I had been having them in many of my recent past lives. That's one 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 understanding of why I've had so many is that my consciousness was open to them because of past lives. The other reason I think I had so many is that the, in the divine plan, the good Lord wanted me to be able to relate on an experiential level with other experiencers. So as a doctor, when I'm counseling people who've had experiences, I'm not talking just in terms of what I've researched in books, but I'm also talking in terms of what I've also personally experienced myself. My whole life changed on November the 8th, 2003. On that day, I had gone to Niagara Falls, Canada, um, and there was a that's about a two hour drive from my home in Toronto, Canada. I love to go there. I meant, uh, I love to meditate and in power places. And I think Niagara Falls is a power place and the roar of the waterfalls. I like to go to the platform at the bottom of the falls and, uh, watch the falls, the water, and just hear the roar, the vibration. It's like that inner roar, that inner ohm sound, um, that I can hear in meditation And I found that if I would meditate there, I would often go very deep, very quickly in my meditation. Well, about two hours before I died, (laughs) I was meditating at the, the foot of the falls. And I went into this profound and deep meditation, probably the deepest I've ever done. And the veils parted. And suddenly I found myself in a state of communion and with my eyes open i could see the other side and this worldly reality superimposed on each other and a being of light a saint from my spiritual tradition mahavatar babaji appeared in his light body and said welcome home telepathically and I felt this great joy, this great success, that it is true, it is possible, one can find your way home uh, while incarnated in the flesh. I didn't realize I was about to die two hours later. And I share this because I now think that was my end of life experience. Like many people have written about how people in their last few hours of life or last few days of life, that the, the it's like the veils become thin and they start talking to departed loved ones on the other side, or they might see a saint from their spiritual tradition or whatever. I think that was my end of life experience, but I didn't realize it. So I was in that state of communion, feeling blessed and joy and in a state of grace. When two hours later, I slipped on black ice, hit my head on the rock cobblestone pavement there at Niagara Falls, 
and died from a serious traumatic brain injury. It felt for an instant like a hatchet had cut into my brain, intense pain, and then sh- suddenly my the pain was gone and a force greater than myself had pulled my consciousness out of my body. I found myself being rushed really, really rapidly up through this vast, dark expanse of space. Some might call it a tunnel, but for me, it was like a dark expanse of space towards the entranceway was literally like the entranceway of white light. And there, that was the white light realm that I'd been at before in my plane crash near death experience. And this time waiting at sort of the entranceway were two beings of light, two saints. One was the saint who had greeted me previously. It was Mahavatar Babaji. The other one was Paramahansa Yogananda, other saint from my spiritual tradition. And they were at like the doorway welcoming me, it seemed. Um, And they telepathically communicated to me uh, the welcome and also informing me that my physical body had died, that my work in the form of Dr. Yvonne Kaysan was now finished. And I felt this tremendous love and tremendous joy, a tremendous welcome. It, it felt like there was being a like a celebration, a birthday party or a graduation party being held for me in the light. You know, you made it. You finished your job. You graduated. That was sort of the feeling. And I, I, I there were other beings of light there, but I, it was like my ego was not distinguishing them into to who they were, what they were. There was just a sense of being loved, and I was being surrounded by 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 souls and the force and God and the saints who loved me. And then I remember it was, it was funny when I look back now, but it's what happened is that all of a sudden it was like a little part of my ego mind, a little voice on my shoulder, you know, they depict the little devil voice on your shoulder. So this little voice on my shoulder was, uh oh, here comes the life review. Because by this point, I'd, I'd heard many people's near-death experiences that when they actually clinically die, they get a life review. And of course, I've, not, I've tried to live a good life, doesn't everybody? But, you know, I hadn't been perfect. So I wasn't looking forward to my life review. So I was like, uh-oh, here comes the life review. And it's so beautiful and so amazing what happened then. Because the two saints, they could read my mind. They, they, they knew I was thinking that thought. And one of them just glanced over at me. And with that glance, there was this transmission. And it was so powerful. It blew that worry away, like blowing a fleck of dust off my shoulder. And at the same time, I got this really profound and really beautiful, deep understanding. And the understanding that was transmitted was, is was, that the, the divine higher power, whatever name we call it, God, Allah, Brahman, the force doesn't matter. The divine higher power is so profoundly loving and so profoundly understanding that it understands just that, that we make mistakes as part of our learning process. And that just as a loving mother, it, when its child is learning how to walk and it might stumble, it might fall, it might bump its head, it might fall on something and break it. The loving mother doesn't punish the child. What the mother, mother, loving mother does is reaches out and comforts and embraces the child and says, that's okay, sweetheart. You can try again. You'll do better next time. 
And that that was the kind of love that I was being welcomed with. So all of my concerns about that past life, you know, the life review, just blown away. I was completely loved, completely loved, completely loved as I am. And then I shifted into another, I don't know, state realms, hard to find words, but it was, I was in a state where I was no longer visually seeing things, but rather that it seemed like pure consciousness, that my consciousness had vastly expanded and its capacity to absorb knowledge was huge. It was like I'd changed from a little tiny computer to a mega computer in my consciousness. And I could take in vast amounts of information all at once. And like massive, suddenly I re-remembered all of my past lives. And the feeling was like, oh yeah, that's right. How could I have forgotten that? Like it was just um, somehow the veil that had blocked my memory to all my past lives had been removed. And suddenly I remembered them all. And it, it was an aha experience because suddenly my life as Dr. Evil and Quezon made sense to me because I'd always felt that my life was a little bit odd. <laughs> you know, here I am, I'm just this little doctor in Toronto, Canada, and I'm having Kundalini awakening, near-death experience after near-death experience, you know, all kinds of spiritually transformative experiences, mystical experiences. And when I discovered, as I mentioned earlier, that, oh, my soul had these sorts of experiences, many incarnations in the past, suddenly it made sense. From a soul level, my soul was just continuing on from past lives. So my from an ego level, my life might have seemed odd, but from a soul level, it was, yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's the sort of soul that I am. And so it was very healing for me and affirming for me to truly have a sense of knowing who I really am in this vast spectrum of the divine play. And, you know, there were many things that were very odd, uh, very difficult to explain and seem odd to us down here, but totally natural on the other side. Like, for example, in this realm, time passed differently. And I, and I had a very clear awareness, which is very, very difficult to explain here how we perceive time, because we perceive time linearly. We perceive it you know, first comes the past, and then right now we're in the present, and then something or other is going to happen in the future um, that we're, we don't know. We have to wait and see till we get there. But on the other side, time was not passing linearly, and time could loop, and you could perceive what we here on Earth see as the past by by simply shifting attention to what the past is we could see what we here on earth perceive as the present by focusing attention there and we could see what we here on earth feel as the future or possible futures by focusing our attention there so um it was almost as if they were all occurring at the same time although past present future although here on earth it's also very clear that how we perceive it while we're embodied is one after the other so anyway i reveled it's much more i can say but I'm, I'm going to go on now i reveled and and was in ecstasy in this expansive communion joy for a period of what i'm going to call timeless time because uh 
it seemed like the amount of time that I spent on the other side was much longer than my body was dead or unconscious. So I think it's like time looped to get me back in my body where I could still be revived, perhaps, who knows. But anyway, after a period of uh, timeless time, the two beings of light reappeared to me and telepathically communicated to me, you may now choose, which means you must now choose. (laughs) You may now choose to reincarnate in the body of a baby and or to go back to the injured form to further serve the divine. And for me, this was a perfect question for my soul because my prayer for many years and actually for many incarnations had been make me your instrument. You know, the prayer of St. Francis, make me an instrument of your love, make me an instrument of your peace, thy will be done. So to be asked to go back to serve was perfect for my soul. And and it's not my ego mind that answered. It, it literally felt like my heart answered as if it came out of my heart, which was just expansive in this state of love and communion on the other side. And, and my heart instantly responded, oh, masters, please guide me. What is the higher choice? I want to do God's will. And so lovingly, like how a telepathic message can have so much love, it's impossible to describe it. So lovingly, so exquisitely sweetly, they telepathically communicated to me, it will be more difficult, but to return to the injured body. And I was not shown any details. I was not told told any details. I didn't ask any details. I was in a complete state of trust, surrender, and love. And my heart just instantly responded, I accept. And faster than the speed of thought, it was between the thought I and accept that... (laughs) With a gasp of air, I found myself waking up on my previously dead or unconscious, who knows, I think dead, they told me I was dead, uh, body lying on the ground, and I'm slowly breathing life back into my body. And for the first couple of instants, I could see both realms perfectly clearly superimposed on each other. The two beings of light were right there with me. It's like they'd escorted my soul back into my physical body. And then gradually after, within a few minutes, that white light realm started fading until it came just a little dot in my periphery. But I came back to a body that was seriously injured. I mean, hello, I had died. (laughs) I had a, a serious traumatic brain injury with a brain hemorrhage and lacerated both of my frontal lobes and many other injuries in between that even our scanners can't pick up. And, um, this traumatic brain injury disabled me. I became disabled. Um, I went intensively for neuro rehabilitation for seven years following my traumatic brain injury because I so loved the work that I did before and um, counseling experiencers, advocating for experiencers, uh, educating people about the reality of, of spiritual experiences. 
all of that was done. Even my ability to volunteer in my son's school, gone. gone. I couldn't work a computer keyboard. I couldn't write. I couldn't. It, it was like my life was flattened by an atomic bomb. And but spiritually, I hung on that experience of love that I have on, had on the other side and the divine knowing that this was not any sort of punishment, which some people cruelly said, oh, you know, you must have some bad karma that you came back disabled. So like, no, my soul absolutely knew that this was not any sort of punishment or, or, or bad karma. My soul absolutely knew, although there were many times that were intensely struggling, but my, my heart would come back to knowing that I was loved. I mean, I know that we are all loved. I mean, that's something I realized on the other side. We're all equally loved. But for me personally, I was loved, that I was loved, that I was cared for. This was not a punishment. And even though I didn't understand why in the divine plan, I was to be a disabled person now, that there must be some higher good in this. And so I accepted it. And I did my best, um, you know, after my seven years of intense efforts to get back to accept that that this was the way my life was now, that my outer life had been before. And now how I could serve is through my inner life. So I focused very much on my prayer, praying for others and struggling to get back my ability to meditate, which was one of the things I lost in the head injury. Um, so that I could do deep meditations. So my prayers and meditations for others were how I could serve now. So that was the understanding I came to in this period of disability. Well, <laughs> just when you think that you know what God's plan for your life is, you never know when the surprise is going to happen because uh, that's what happened to me. Suddenly, more than 12 years later, almost 12 and a half years later, after my head injury that disabled me on February 24th, 2016, while I was deep in meditation in a holy spot in the Self-Realization Fellowship Retreat in Encinitas, California, on a spot where Paramahansa Yogananda used to meditate and commune with God. So it has a very powerful spiritual vibration. I love to meditate there. I was deep in meditation and suddenly inwardly, I perceived this like eruption of liquid light in the center of my brain. And it was literally like an all, a volcano had erupted or a fountain had erupted of liquid light in the center of my brain. And it was the lights got turned on that this region inwardly, I was perceiving in the center of my brain that had been in darkness for more than 12 years. Suddenly the lights were on and the subjective experience I had was like waking up. It was like something in my brain woke up and my brain was healed. This was a spontaneous brain healing experience. This was a miracle. This was the grace of God <laughs> that suddenly 12 and a half years after my brain injury, that with this STE, a healing STE, that my brain was healed. And immediately it was like the floodgates open because I'd had sort of a locked in phenomenon. Uh, my doctors explained to me because 
if you think of like a computer where the hard drive is intact, but the keyboard and the, 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 um, uh, the screen isn't working. So, you know, it's just, the information's in the hard drive, but you can't get it out. So that's what my brain was like. The hard drive was as intact, but because of the brain injury, the keyboard and screen weren't working, but whoop, suddenly now they were working and I think they were actually upgraded. <laughs> and so all the knowledge, the spiritual wisdom, the experience that was inside of me was now we're just pouring forth and I received the strong inner guidance pass on what you have learned so the urge was just just flooding me to write books and so I started immediately and I mean I hadn't been able to think of writing books for over 12 years since my brain injury I immediately started writing books so the first book I wrote I think I was on your show three years ago after I released touched by the light which was the first book I wrote after my brain healing. And this book, Soul Lessons from the Light, that just came out is the second book I wrote after my brain healing. So it is a product of the miracle. And so that makes this this book very, very special to me uh, that it is a result of a miracle. And I guess the message that I want to leave people with is that the message that I leave people with at the end of Soul Lessons from the Light is to never give up hope. Never give up hope regardless of what challenges life may be giving you because with God, with the higher power, all things are possible. Miracles do happen and I am a walking, talking, testimonial, living proof that sometimes miracles do happen. If it happened to me, it might happen to you. Oh, Dr. Kaysen. I mean, I have no questions. That was amazing. And and what a absolutely beautiful way to end the show. And thank you. Gosh, what a life plan you signed up for with all your <laughs> incredible experiences. Yep. Um, amazes me too. <laughs> and miracles do happen. So Miracles do happen. <laughs> thank you so much for spreading your light. And it was an honor to have you on Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for having me, Louisa. Oh, it's my pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe for weekly passionate inspirational interviews.